caught offside from the suburbs of New York City in an apartment in Brooklyn, New York. Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. What's up, brother? I've returned, Andrew. I've returned from the homeland after a flying visit. You were in Ireland. I was, indeed. I thought with the second wave starting of COVID-19 starting to move across Europe, if I didn't go then, I would never get the chance. And on the day that I flew back, which was yesterday, Ireland announced it was going into uh, close to the same lockdown that they had in March and April. Oh, man. Yep. Which is, so your um, timing was, was perfect, un- un- unfortunately perfect. Yeah, yeah. There's very little perfect about the current situation, but at least I got home uh, for, for a little while. Well, welcome home. I, I even... Even when I'm I'm not sure that you're away, I can sense something is different. It's like this this part of me is missing. And the the second your plane landed back in New York, it was like, oh, JJ has has returned. That's I could feel it. So that, welcome home, my that, friend. That's very sweet and indeed quite creepy. <laughs> Let's just stick with sweet. Uh, what a show we should have coming up for you today. This weekend in the Premier League was crazy. Um, sadly, our clubs were both at the epicenter of the craziness for reasons that you and I find mostly regrettable. So we will react and talk about those things, um, which should be, which should be fun. We have a great mailbag um, within which we will mention how, so last week we started the show and did really the first spin of the wheel was about project big picture. And then like seconds after we finished recording it, it felt like that got scrapped, but perhaps a new uh, equally sinister league has risen up in its place or an idea has risen up in its place. And, and that was brought to our attention in the mailbag. So we'll get to that there. Uh, red cards, man of the match. There's a lot. Champions League begins today, as a matter of fact, by the time you're listening to this. I am unready for the return of European football. <laughs> well, it just ended. I know. Like more than anything else, it feels like that just ended. Um, but it's. I'm glad that it's back. It's certainly fun. Uh, so we will get to all that. Uh, this should be a really fun show. Before we even get to anything, though, um, I just wanted to bring up, we mentioned, um, about probably a year and a half or so ago that one of the hosts of the, um, total soccer show, uh, Daryl Grove had been diagnosed with cancer. Um, you know, and, you know, we, we had talked about that and, uh, how our thoughts were, were with him in, in his battle against it. And unfortunately, uh, Taylor Rockwell, the co-host of that program, um, announced, on Sunday night that Daryl's condition has taken a a turn for the worse. And it's uh, the news that I think everybody was dreading. Um, I almost don't even know what words to put to this, you know, to, to kind of sum up somebody's, somebody's life. Uh, It's, it's truly difficult. Daryl is not somebody that I've ever had the pleasure of meeting or that I know, but from listening to their show for, for years, you know, count me an admirer of him, of him and um, someone who who has felt like he's gotten to know him through this medium. This is, you know, we always talk about what a, a personalized medium this is. Mm. And like I said, I don't, I don't even know what the right words are to encapsulate this situation, other than to say, you know, we're gonna we're gonna sit here when this is a, when when I finish talking about this, and we're gonna go on and we're gonna talk about, you know. Liverpool and the VAR decision that went against them and Tottenham coughing up a three goal lead in the last 10 minutes. And and we'll get upset about those things. And we'll, you know, obviously it, it brings out emotion in us. We care about our teams, but, but ultimately it's situations like this that serve as 
the most unfortunate and horrific of reminders that, you know, there's a place for sports and a place for that kind of silliness uh, and the anger that you feel about sports. And then there's life. And you just have to remember, I guess, to just compartmentalize these things and remember the things that are that are truly important. Uh, and, you know, while we do care about sports and we care deeply about soccer and the growth of the game, you know, it's the game ends. And sometimes you just kind of click the TV off and look at the people around you, you know, wives, girlfriends, children, moms, dads, brothers, sisters, whoever, best friends. Uh, and just remember, you know, that those are the things that matter and hug those people, care about those people, uh, because honestly, you, you never know, you never know when these things can be taken from you. Um, and so I hate that this is, uh, the kind of the, the vessel in which this reminder is being served. Uh, I wish there were different ways to have these, you know, to, to think about these sorts of things, but sadly, sometimes it, it takes, um, the most horrific of, of ways to remind you about what is truly important in life. And there's nothing else for me to say about this other than, um, our thoughts are, are so very much with Daryl, um, his family, his loved ones, um, and Taylor, uh, as well, who, you know, one of his closest friends, um, who had, who announced the news the other night. And I just feel, I feel horrible. I feel truly sick about everything that they're, that Daryl is going through. Yep. I, I, I echo those sentiments, Andrew. Um, my thoughts are, are with him and, and with his family. I was packing up the car on the west coast of Ireland, about to drive, make an early drive across the country to Dublin airport. And I, I, I clicked on the podcast um, because of the somber tone and that we had kind of talked about it last year. And, and all I could think was how incredibly sad this is. And also, uh, you know, we just go um, forward in life and this could happen to anybody. It is incredibly random. It's incre- incredibly unfair and cruel. And um, I suppose... It just made me re- realize how, how how terrible and random life is as well. But also, like you said, to appreciate the moments we have with loved ones. And um, therefore, the grace of God go I, basically. That's it. Yep. Um, so there's obviously no no easy transition from that, but we'll do the best we can now to to put on our show as we, uh, as we would. And JJ, we start, of course, with what I said at the, the top of the program, that this weekend in the Premier League was... Uh, it was crazy for for any number of reasons. Um, I guess we'll start with the match. We'll go chronologically here, and we'll start with the match that uh, that kicked things off early Saturday morning. Um, although not for you, if you were in Ireland, not was the uh, it was just a nice a nice midday lunch. The twelve thirty kickoff uh, in front of no fans, but uh, hotly anticipated. And um, I guess it was ultimate. Premier League, or as some people on Twitter have started saying, I think it's because of a, an Antonio Conte uh, comment in a post-match a few years ago. That was the complete Barclays. <laughs> this was one of those games, we've talked about this at various points. Every game, you hate to not see fans in the in the stands. Uh, this one is another one that rates pretty highly for me on on, on that scale. When um, when Calvert Lewin converted the header uh, late in oh. that game, um, in such a you know peak intensity, uh, all of the enthusiasm that Everton had been riding into that moment, you know just how badly they wanted this, even though that only got them a draw, it didn't get them the win, but you know just what it would have meant to the people in that stadium uh, to to hear that roar and see the, the limbs 
uh, it would have been it would have been memorable. Nevertheless, I'm sure Everton fans did not enjoy it any less. Um, we could go through this. I guess I've kind of like earmarked um, the biggest moments of. This well, I don't think I you've earmarked kind of, them. I believe the uh, video assistant referee has earmarked them. The world has earmarked these things for us. Let's start with what I think is is now has to be considered the obvious biggest story to come out of this game. And that is um, the news that Virgil van Dyke has suffered a terrible knee injury to his ACL. Uh, they haven't put a, a definitive time frame on it, but we know that these injuries are, what, what would you say, JJ, minimum six months? Yeah, they're min- seven they months? used to be a year. Um, and then we've seen people come back much quicker. I, I, I kind of take heart from the fact they haven't said exactly uh, that the, the nature of the injury was it a complete ACL tear, partial rupture? Um, so, but it's 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 six to seven, seven to eight months, and the the rehab afterwards is the rehab during and the time afterwards extends this because there's always ancillary injuries that come along with it. So we can handle this subject in two ways. The first of which is the decision that was given on the field, which was no decision. Um, Jordan Pickford was. I don't think there's any – whether you think it was a red card or not, we can all agree that what he did was extremely reckless. It was wild. Uh, it was wild. It really it, it really truly was. Uh, nothing was given. The, the, the situation was reviewed uh, for a penalty, but uh, Van Dyke was judged to have been offside, so that negated the penalty. That, however, it is important to note, does not negate the possibility of still assigning a red card to the action right. that Pickford took. Um, and so – I think we all need to keep in mind that Pickford was was not given a red, not because VAR didn't look at it, but simply because I guess the VAR official decided that it didn't rise to that level. Um, well, David we'll David Coote was the here. David Coote was the VAR official, and he reviewed it and decided it wasn't worthy of a red card. Yeah, Michael uh, Oliver did from, not go to the, did not go to the sideline screen either, which I think was important. Um, I, I don't know why he should have. Um, it was it was absolutely. If you could, if you could have designed a tackle to to cause such a, a, a detrimental injury, and I'm not saying that Pickford did it. He didn't go out to injure him, but it was reckless and it was wild and kind of symptomatic of the way he is as a goalkeeper. Unpredictable. Um, but I I just don't understand how it's not a red card. I don't understand. It's endangering. The, the the safety of of uh, an opponent of another player on the field, he's got to go. Yeah, this was this was from uh, former ref uh, referee Mark Halsey on BBC Radio Five Live. He said uh, Pickford on Van Dyke is a clear challenge that endangers a player with excessive force and should have been deemed a sending off. A red card should have been issued. The only thing that I can think of as to why it wasn't. Uh, this is a huge game. There's a huge spotlight on it. Derby match in, in a year where Everton are, are looking to maybe be capable of doing more than whatever we had thought. This occurred relatively early in the game. There's this intense spotlight on VAR specifically, this intense criticism that is that has kind of cast a shadow over whatever good it's done. Um, and I just wonder if, because this happened early in the match, if there was this feeling of, if we go to VAR and we give this red card, we are deciding the match potentially, but uh, and but, and but whatever uh, scrutiny has been placed upon Andrew, us Andrew, as Andrew, referees. Andrew, and Andrew is- these are the concerns that referees had back in the day. We we used to that was a re- what you've just said there was a real thing. Referees had the burden of not giving red cards early in the game because of, they didn't want to be seen to be deciding the game. But VAR was supposed to take this away from them. 
So the virus, but it's but it but it it won't though. It won't do that because this is unlike offsides. Um, this is subjective. So it's still a human being that just gets to look at that play a couple more times, and then he still has to make the decision. You know, you're allowing him a further look at it, but ultimately the decision is the same. Do I? Does this rise to a level where I might I might be the guy that decides the Merseyside Derby in a year where Everton and Liverpool could be contending for but he's a title? Not, he's not. It, he still has to make that decision. No, he doesn't because he's not going to the screen. He's being told in his ear. He does not judge it for himself. He goes on what someone else is saying. It's passing the buck again. I'm talking about the VAR, the VAR official. I'm talking about him. He's he is now the power is in his hands. But the power is in him is is as far as I can see, completely in his hands right now. Var, var, right. If, uh, if something goes to VAR to be reviewed, you know, if if sorry, rather if VAR gets in the referee's ear, more more often than not, then that decision will be changed. You know, <laughs> and um, I just I don't understand it. it. It seemed a very simple red card for me. It was not hard. I don't know. I. Liverpool have written to the PGMOL to to understand or to ask for an explanation on both decisions. So mm-hmm. that's going to be well. We'll get we'll get to the other decision in a, in a sec here. Before we do that, I, I I want to finish up on the Van Dyke situation by uh, asking the other the other really important part of this. You know, so that's that was the individual game. Now we're looking at the season, and I saw Mark Ogden had a column, and I, and I've seen this written about in a few different places, but. Mark Ogden had a column basically asking if this means that Liverpool's title hopes are over. Um, and, you know, to that, my, my initial reaction to that is to say, I understand why the question would be asked because he, he very well might be the best player on what we consider to be the best team in a very competitive league. Um, however, I don't know. I, I look at that and I think that it's a, a huge insult to how great this team is. You don't do the things that Liverpool did last season or the season before in winning the Champions League. You don't do those things by having a team that could completely come apart with the loss of one player. This is a great team. Uh, And and I think it's a bit of an insult even to the players who will now be um, filling in for Van Dyke in Matip and Joe Gomez. No, they're not him. But I I don't know that I look at those two out there and suddenly say, oh, well, that's gone from strength to weakness. I have to. Uh, this this ha- team is too good for me to think that the House of Cards is going to fall down now. I have to disagree with you, Andrew, completely. I, um, I think if there was one player you thought Liverpool cannot afford to lose, you'd have a, a short list of of three or four, and I think Van Dijk is top of that list. And and what you're talking about is you're talking about how great Liverpool has been over that period. He's played every game over that period, every single game. He he's ever present in the league. Um, and, and and what's replacing him in Matip and Gomez, quite apart from the fact that both of them are are injury prone, they've never started a game together as a centre-back pairing. Can you believe that? Never. Well, it's easy to believe when you tell me Van Dyke has played every single game. Correct. Uh, both, you know, like I said, they, they have had their own injury problems. They have their form problems as well. Matip, we saw, Matip and Lovren was the, was the back two prior to Virgil van Dijk's arrival at the club. And I think Matip is good with van Dijk together um, when they're together. Gomez, we've seen problems with him in terms positionally and also in his 1v1 defending. So now we're putting those two guys together. This is completely unknowable. Not to mention the fact that van Dijk is so important in going back to front quickly, switching the play and starting attacks. All that is taken away now. I think this is a huge blow for Liverpool. And also, what if one of those centre-backs gets injured now? 
Lovren wasn't replaced. Lovren's gone to Zenit St. Petersburg. So now you're going way down into the into the depth chart, looking at youth players who are probably not ready to make this step up. It's it's a, it's huge. It's absolutely huge. No one is denying that it's huge. And it could the decide was whether or not this ends. Well, I think what it does, it, it certainly brings them back to the pack. This this race is wide open. But I don't look at this and say that they're now out of it. I think that's I think that's crazy to think in those terms for Liverpool. I'm not saying here's, they're out of it. Okay, well, that was the question, is whether or not this ends. The question was, uh, Mark Ogden had the column asking if this means Liverpool's title hopes are over. And I think that, that there's no way that can be true. I just couldn't see that. Here's two things that are worth noting. Um, so there's some statistics here about Van Dyke. Obviously, his his numbers statistically are off the chart, but he ranks second best in aerial duel success rate behind his teammate, Joel Matip, who actually edged him out for the top spot there. Um, and then one other thing that's important to note, after 76 Premier League games, Joe Gomez is yet to make an error leading directly to a goal, while Joel Matip, having played eight games fewer than Van Dyke, has made only two Against Joel, uh, against Virgil Van Dyke's three again. So these guys are still look. I know it's going to be different, and there's going to be different responsibility on them. But these guys are not scrubs. No, they're going to be filling in for that spot. And Liverpool controls so much of the ball and will still score so many goals that who know they'll be allowed to make a mistake here and there because you know Sadio Mane and Mohamed Salah. These guys, these guys are going to keep scoring goals. They still have uh, Trent Alexander Arnold, Andy. They're still like. So many of the best players at certain positions are still playing for this team. I, I so it, it can't be over. I absolutely agree. Th- th- those stats don't don't factor in a, a lot of things, uh, particularly in Gomez's performances. And I, I really like him. I actually think he's a very good centre back. He can pass. He's he's more of a modern centre back, and he's been kept at the club for those reasons through some pretty bad injuries, two pretty bad injuries throughout his time at Liverpool. Um, but. This is a pairing that's it's a it's an unknown pairing. You're going from possibly the best defender in world football, a defender who's absolutely tailor made for what Liverpool do, to two guys who haven't played together, and and that's a big thing. But um, yeah, it's totally right. And look, I do want to go back and, and say that I do agree with you in that if I was making a list of the players for Liverpool that I would least want to see them lose, Van Dijk would probably be number one for me on that list. We're also, but that doesn't mean that, but that doesn't mean that I don't think they can still win. We're also not, you know, failing to factor in another point that the defense is a unit and it works as a unit, and so this puts that back four into turmoil. Look at it as a back five, including the goalkeeper. We've got a goalkeeper. We don't know when Allison's going to be back. Suddenly, soon though, right? I thought. Uh, I don't know. I haven't seen a date. I'm going to check that because I thought I had seen something optimistic about right. that. Um, uh, so then we move on from that, JJ, to the uh, the other moment of real controversy, which came right at the end. The Jordan Henderson winner, that Henderson winner that wasn't. Um, I feel like this could be us rehashing old. Grant. Yeah. Well, I just don't know. I, I don't know how they come to this decision, Andrew. And I, he's let it's Sadio Mane's level. And again, what VAR does with, with, with a rule like offside is goes into the molecular, the part of his arm part, armpit, part of his, his jersey, things like that. He's level. I, I, and, and by the way, just from some of the Everton fans that I've spoken to, like they had, they would have had no issue if that goal had been given equally. I would have had no issue if it had gone the other way, if that was at the other end for Everton, if that had been a Hamas Rodriguez. Why? How is this benefiting the game? How is this making things better? How is that an egregious mistake? I, I honestly think I'm going to bring something fresh to the table rather than my usual hmm. trashing of VAR. I, I think forget the lines. 
get rid of the bloody lines that he starts drawing like he's in tech graphics class. Get rid of it. If it goes to the referee, the VAR, and David Coote can't can't tell with the naked human eye that there's a big mistake on, on offside being made here, that there's that there's a huge gap. If he can't see it within 30 seconds, it's a goal. Forget this nonsense. It's so dumb and stupid. It's 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 the very thing that um, European fans complain to me about the NFL when they take out the chains, when they're looking to see did it make first down, and there's this, this interminable wait. Get rid of it. It's crap, and it serves no purpose. Wait a minute. So if I can sum up what was, what was just said there, and correct me if I'm wrong, you're saying that you would be okay with VAR if they remove the molecular element of the lines being drawn across for the offside rule? No. How... Like just yes or no. Is that what you said? Because we might, we might be on the brink of a moment. Right. Well, here. that's what I believe because, because, because it's dumb. We're getting into pixelations. We're even getting into one of the things was, uh, was the, was the, the counting the frame, like the picture frames, uh, which is, this is way beyond me. Like when the ball is released off the foot, like that's, that's a part of it too. How, how can we even quantify these things? I think it's finally happened. JJ, we have, We've met in the middle, and we agree on VAR. Release the confetti! We agree on VAR! It could be good! It could be good if they remove the molecular level! Woo! Hug me, JJ. I'd ra- I really would rather not. <laughs> but, uh, you know, uh, by the way, balloons have just been released in Andrew's house. Yeah, I've been no, I've literally had Amanda's she's come up here every night one asking when what first of all, why is this here? When will this be gone? I said, I'm just waiting for JJ and I to have the inevitable breakthrough moment where we finally meet in the middle on VAR. And it it it's happened. It's happened. And and, and also uh something to repeat a point I've made millions of times. Like this is not what offside was for. You know? This is this kind of I know, but it still has to be enforced. You're right. It's to prevent cherry picking. We, I understand that. But like, you know, if a guy is a shoulder length ahead, you still, it has to be called. You know, these are things that in the past without VAR, we would have said, oh, that's a great call. From the How many times? Now we're mad. How many times have you looked at the, at the VAR picture of, of um, Sajo Mane and the, uh, and the line and, and thought, I can't see anything here, guys. I don't see I it. Just don't see I don't it. see it. And, and, and to this, I'll forever be dumbfounded by, by the ruling that was given. You've also uh, taken I, away I, a dramatic derby moment. Let's be honest. Liverpool's 3-2 win over Everton where, by the way, I I want to talk about the football. I really do. I I, I thought Liverpool... Out of the question. It's not going to happen. There'll, there'll be no football here, my friend. Um, I thought Everton were good. I thought Liverpool were a bit better. But if you look at the if you look at the chances created, the XG, like it was a really good game with a dramatic finish. And and we end up talking, we end up spending all this time talking about VAR and referees. And I mean, this is not what it this this is this sucks joy from the game so much. Well, the moments were so big. How can you not discuss them? I actually, in, in credit to Liverpool, I actually thought they were much better. Uh, you said just a bit better. I thought I thought they were significantly better. I st- yeah, I um, I know what you're saying, Andrew, and and I I think over the course of the game that is a fair a, a fair thing to say. But but the fact that Everton showed such resiliency and carried such a threat every time, uh, James Rodriguez, who I thought was 
dealt with fairly well by Liverpool in terms of how well you can deal with a player of his calibre. But every time he popped up in a little, little pocket and, and, and received the ball, or any time there was a free kick, you were just like, oh, this is this is dangerous, especially when Van Dijk went off. I mean, his deliveries are so good. Um, I, 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 thought it was a, I thought it was a really good game. I thought Everton, I, I thought the, um, the Dominic Calvert-Lewin goal, the header, was just a magnificent goal. It was a it was a great move. You can question defending on it, but you can probably do that with 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 a lot of things, especially minus the world's best defender. And I thought his hang time, his header was brilliant. Um, oh yeah. Look, it it had a few elements of 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 Derby days past that you wouldn't like to see. Richarlison's tackle was on Thiago was disgraceful. And he did apologize afterwards, but it kind of brought you back to Jim Beglin in the Derby in the late 80s, where his career was effectively never the same after the tackle by Trevor Stephen. Um, yeah, it it it's uh, it was an enthralling game. It really was. Yeah. Uh, all right, let's move on now, JJ, to Spurs. 3-3 with West Ham. Uh, I don't know what to say about a game like this, except it was it was unbelievable. It was incredible frustration. Can can um, I do something? Because can I do something that the kids are doing on the internet with the you know what you know the internet, Andrew, right? With the, where the kids what are you, like TikTok here? No, no, no. You know the kids are doing where it started and how it's going, or where it started and how it ended. Well, we're going to talk about Spurs here, and we're going to talk about West Ham, but mostly about Spurs. So I just want to give West Ham people a little bit of joy. Um, this is the the how it started is uh, Matt Holland on commentary with Peter Drury, but it's Matt Holland commentator cursing all over Spurs, just all over. This is the Balbuena goal on in the 82nd minute. And this is what Matt Holland had to say. So this is how it started. Well, it's probably a little too late for West Ham. <laughs> probably a little too late. And this is... He's not wrong for having said And it. this is how it finished. Taken away by Wiggs. Let's see He made. He's probably never hit a ball like that in his life, and he'll probably never hit another one like that. Graham Souness, uh, I can report from England, <laughs> thought that he should have gone with it, uh, should have tried to save it with his left hand. So if you, uh, all right, fine, makes no sense. It's a. He, he's not getting there, and he did a damn fine effort to try and get there. No, it was ridiculous. It was unbelievable. Um, I mean, obviously, my we can talk about West Ham, but my focus with this lie more on the Tottenham side of things um, here. I already know what the criticisms will be um, because in some respects, there are certain similarities that you could make to what happened to them against Newcastle. Um, people want to say, you know, again, passive in the second half, where's that killer instinct um, uh, to that? I would say a couple things. First off, let's not forget that up until that 82nd minute, the best chances in the second half, were probably all Tottenham chances. West Ham, for for whatever possession they may have had, they did very little with it until that opportunity. Kane hit the post in the second half. Uh, Kane forced Fabianski into a diving save in the second half. Gareth Bale came on and missed a chance that is probably going to be keeping him up 
awake at night when it was three. Why didn't he go for the open time. side to the keeper's right? I don't know what he. I don't know. I, uh, the only thing I can think of is he had just made a, a brilliant move to even get into that position, and maybe the ball just got caught in his right. feet a little too Fair. much, where he was he wasn't quite able to place it the way that he normally would have. But he was essentially one on one with the keeper, uh, albeit in close quarters. So you know, like I, I don't know if I if I'm quite willing to say that they lack that killer instinct. But here's the main reason that you can't compare it to to Newcastle. The score there was 1-0. And as we found out, you're always in a 1-0 game. You're, you know, whatever you've squandered leading up to that, you're always just one insane handball decision away from walking away with two fewer points. This is different. They're up 3-0 with 10 minutes left. I don't want to hear about not doing enough to kill off a game. Three up with that t- much time remaining. You've done it. You've done enough to kill off the game. Yeah, it's over. All right, this is craziness. This is insane that something like this happened. You don't blow a lead like that. If people want to blame Mourinho, you know, his tactics or whatever, so be it. But like we have to look at individuals on the pitch who kind of just maybe thought this was over. You know, I, I like Davinson Sanchez, but I do feel like he's got a little bit of Serge Aurier in him. He had the own goal that he conceded. He makes fouls in in silly situations. He gave up the the, the penalty early on uh, against Manchester United. He nearly had a second own goal in this game. You know, he makes he made mistakes late. Uh, and some of it, like you do have to give some credit to West Ham. I mean, Jose Mourinho said that, you know, he talked about it afterwards that they didn't stop believing they scored that first goal and their, their enthusiasm just went up to a level that the Tottenham players couldn't, they couldn't reach that level. And, and I I still can't believe that it happened, but I don't want to go crazy in like laying all kinds of blame all over the place. I don't know. This is, this is a crazy result. No, I'm so so what's interesting to me about this is that Mourinho said in his post-match comments, "I got, I, I, I'll have to look at. Uh, we, I will reanalyze. Maybe we did drop off a little bit, but I've got to be honest. That is their default position. Is deep, you know. They look to get you on the counter with the amazing ta- attacking talent they have. Look at the first goal. That ball from Harry Kane is on a transition." What what a super ball, by the way. And and how Incredible. much is he turning into like this almost uh Bobby Firmino false nine creative oh, but but also he, he's Bobby Firmino with goals. I mean that that ball was stunning to Son. Um another, the second uh, the second or the third uh no 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 the second goal was a turnover again. Declan Rice coughs it up and Spurs are in transition. So what what I think is this that Mourinho must realize now. Because Spurs sit deep, because they're afraid of being picked off, because they're afraid of creating, allowing the other team to create chances, that is a, a streak of conservatism that allows teams to pick away at you. And West Ham got enough luck and got enough good play that eventually the dam broke even as late as it was. Now, I agree with you, that game should be over. And nine times out of ten, it is over. But this was that one time out of ten that it wasn't. I looked at that team, Andrew that um, Spurs put out. And, I mean, it's such a strong side. It really is. Alvarell back at centre-back, Sanchez. You've got Reguilon, Aurier. Hoiberg and Sissoko have, have turned into this really good two in front of that back four. And and then you've got Son in Dombele. You've got Bergwijn, who can make runs beyond Kane. And you've got Kane dropping off and and, and not just scoring goals himself, but creating for others. I mean, this is such a good team. JJ, they have Gareth Bale. And they had... You didn't even... They sprung... (laughs) No, you're right. They sprung Gareth Bale off the bench. And here's what I'm saying. And it's it's a variation on what I've always said about Mourinho. I think this team is playing with the handbrake on. 
what do you guys call the handbrake, the parking brake, is it? Emergency, emergency break. break. Uh, I, I think they are playing a little bit like that. And it invites teams on and creates things like what happened against Newcastle and like what happened against West Ham. It's a, I see what you're saying because they do, they do still in a couple of these matches, they like Newcastle and West Ham specifically, they do go through these spells where, um, you know, these dry periods, but it, it's a little bit hard for me to say that the handbrake is on. Like I'm watching these games and I know the MO on Mourinho's style is that he's going to be boring and, and you know, he'll kind of nickel and dime you to death and they'll, they'll eke a goal and then they'll, they'll lock it up. Uh, I can say this right now, for better or for worse, watching Tottenham so far this season, I am not bored. This has not been boring football. No, uh, it's not about... And I, and I wonder... It's not about boredom. And, and, it's about inviting teams onto you when I actually think Spurs can dominate games more. Like... So I, I I watched the highlights of the game. I was out um, doing socially distanced visiting. Basically, I was in a car waving at my cousins from from their from their window in their house. And um, I went to my my brother in law, who's a huge West Ham United fans' house. And it was three nil at that point. And he goes to me, "Oh, you know, we've just we've just given up goals three nil after fifteen minutes." And I'm watching the game, and it's all West Ham in possession of the ball, and Spurs keep giving the ball away. And I'm like, how is how is this happening? So what I'm saying to you is, Andrew, West Ham were allowed to stay in the game even at 3-0, whereas I think if Spurs look to dominate possession more, look to do more, look to play higher up the field and not so sitting in, as, as Mourinho even suggested, I, I think this team, personnel-wise, is good enough to blow sides away. And I think... I guess you're right. It's just hard for me. Like, when it's 3-0 in yeah. the 82nd minute, it's just hard for me to say... The, like. It's a, they need to be up five, you know, like, it's, well, yeah, I know to me, you've done I'm, it. Like you've I'm done generalizing it. across games. Cause I, 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 I do I, think this game was an aberration. There's not going to, I saw, I, I'm sorry to cut you off, but I, I saw an article JJ at ESPN FC and I immediately thought of you. This, this came out before the Tottenham West Ham match and ESPN FC. Um, they, the headline, the, the article is titled Atalanta, Bayern, Everton, European soccer's 11 must see, can't miss attacking teams. It's written by Bill Connolly of ESPN FC. And mm. he, he basically ranks his 11 most fun attacking teams. And JJ sitting there at fifth is Jose Mourinho and Tottenham. And he lays out the stats, you know, their XG shots per game, assists, goals. You know, it's, it, it's not what. This is not what people expected with Jose Mourinho. I, I really, I really believe but that. Again, it's it's like this wonderful attack that they have. Even Mourinho can't stifle the death, uh, the life out of them. Spurs front office have bought extremely well. Okay, that is a fact. And and the players that they have, like Son, it, it, when Morris when he's fit, Bergwijn, you can't when they play on the break and and when. When the break, when the play is stretched, you got these guys who are so creative. How can they not be good? What I'm saying is they can be better, even better. Uh, I, I guess you're right, but their last few games they've scored uh, what is it, seven, six, or five, seven, six, and three. Mm. I mean, we're asking, we're asking a lot. We're asking a lot. Be better than that. Score more than that. That's that's not easy. I, that's I, not an I'm, easy I'm thing that you're asking. Teams adjust to them I'm too. I'm talking about, uh, yeah. Look, uh, look what I tweeted. This is how much I believe in this Spurs team. I, I did it at 3-0 and I did it provocatively and it got a heck of a response. 
the this league is there for Tottenham. I tweeted that out. Well, right, that's not a crazy statement because right now it can't be crazy. Like, la- last, can't be. last year we would we would talk about you know weeks would go by and we would say no one no one wants this Champions League place or nobody wants to win this. Le- we couldn't say no one wants to win this league last year because Liverpool were doing what they were doing. It was always going to be them. But then after them, you know. You had, you know, what was it? Didn't Narch beat Manchester City last year? Like you had weird, crazy results were happening where it seemed like nobody else wanted to win games uh, and get into the top four. And so like now you're kind of still getting that, except in addition to that, Liverpool have lost 7-2 to Aston Villa and now have lost their most important player in Van Dijk. So it's it's there. Any number of teams you could say that about, that this league is there for them. And Tottenham are certainly among them. Yeah, I I, I just, I feel there's a, there's a part of me that is fighting against the other part of me and the part of me, which is they can't win this with Mourinho, that conservative streak. And then the other part of me is look, if they're, if they can keep it tight at the back, which they didn't at the weekend, some of the defending on the, on on the West Ham goals was bad. But if Mourinho can sort that out, which is supposed to be his wheelhouse, if he sorts that out and they've got this devastating attack that plays in, in when the game is stretched and on the break and in transition, they could Mourinho their way to a championship. That's all I'm saying. Fifth most exciting attack in Europe. Fifth. Chosen. Well, we'll have to we'll uh, have that word with good old Bill. And applaud him for his, <laughs> his genius and maybe, his eyes and brain. Uh, JJ, Southampton rescue a point against Chelsea. What a game this was. Yeah, you know, we're talking about defense. We're talking about Leaky in the back. Sometimes I feel like the fans and the media, you know, we're not in on the film sessions with managers and things like that, but we watch the games and, and we feel like we know. And so oftentimes we're proven wrong. Sometimes we're proven right. And I feel like right now with Chelsea, a lot of people are being proven right because we thought that, you know, with Werner, with Pulisic coming back in the number 10, you know, with, with Ziyech coming in, um, Havertz, we knew that this team was going to be lethal in attack. And we all wondered, we talked about it at length in our preview podcast, do they have what it takes in defense to hold up? And even with Thiago Silva, who did not play over the weekend. Uh, and right now they don't. And it's it's costing them. Um uh, I saw some. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, no, go. I, 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 I just wanted to say that this was one of the fourteen ninety five games that uh, had I wanted to watch this one, I would have had to fork out for that. Even though my father, I don't know how my father has the complete package between Premier Sports, BT Sports, and Sky Sports, so he's got all the games. But had I wished to watch that game, I would have had to pay extra. So I'm money well spent. Um, Brilliant game. Yeah, it was a great game. Um. I thought it was it was look at the positives for Chelsea. It was great that that Timo Werner got off the got off the mark. However, I would say that Southampton defense is porous enough that it was the perfect game for him to get going. Although he took he took and created particularly the first goal. He took his goals very very well. But there's something soft about Chelsea defensively, Andrew, and uh, you know, like Zuma, Kepa. Even like in the second half, the kind of goals that Southampton scored, just not good. And we, we go back again to management and and is Frank Lampard somebody who can A, get the attacking part moving well. And I think what the quality of player is, he should be, able, he has, should be able to do that. But defensively, all over the place. You were going to say something before I interrupted. Yeah, so... I'm going to do some reading now. I know everybody loves the the portions of the podcast where we sit and we read. Uh, This is from Sky Sports, JJ. 
They say since Lampard arrived, only Southampton, Aston Villa, West Ham, and Brighton have conceded more goals of current Premier League teams. But the goals against column does not tally with other metrics. They've conceded just 379 shots. Only Manchester City have faced fewer. And their expected goals is just 44.7, over 18 goals fewer than they've actually conceded. That is by far the largest difference between expected goals conceded and actual goals conceded in the Premier League. The point, this points to individual mistakes. Seven of the nine goals Chelsea have conceded this season have been down to individual mistakes in some form. Sadio Mane's first in Liverpool's 2-0 win on September 20th. Uh, Yannick Vestergaard's late equalizer on Saturday are the only two that have not been. So that's the thing. Like, I almost, in some respects, you almost feel sorry for Chelsea because they're being painted with this brush that they can't defend. Well, maybe they can, but in the moments that matter, they break down and they give, you know, they give away foolish possession. They, you know, an an errant pass. Well, well, you see, that's playing into Frank's defense, and Frank Lampard's defense has been of his record, certainly over the past few weeks, has been individual errors, and he keeps pointing to mistakes and errors, but. At some point, you have to think there's a, a, a systems failure when all these individual errors are happening. You know, I mean, the one at the... W- well, can, I, can I point to what that system is? Go on. Here's, why I feel, here's why I feel sorry for them. Because they went out and they fixed the, the broken system, JJ. They went out and got a new goalkeeper because their other one can't stop making mistakes all over the place. This is from Who Scored, uh, their Twitter account. Keppa in the Premier League this season. Error leading to goal versus Brighton. Error, error leading to goal versus Liverpool. Error leading to goal versus Southampton. The goalkeeper is responsible for 21.4% of the 14 total errors leading to a goal in the entirety of the Premier League so far. Yeah, but season. that's just yeah, him. but that's spread to the rest of the team. Uh, look at look at Kurt look at Kurt Zuma. Like what what kind of back pass was that at the weekend? And, yeah, and Keppa still made still made an error in in the. And he still managed to to fit one of his own errors into that move. Let me top this. Let me see. I see your mistake, and I raise you one of Let my own. Let me help you out there, bro. And Thiago Silva as well, but against um, West Brom. But also, just look at it in general, though. You know, two hundred million spent on on the cream of European attacking talent, and nothing spent on a thirty six year old defender so Thiago Silva is the guy you bring in to solve solve some of the issues also I wonder I wonder about that midfield pairing with Jorginho and Kante in there well I thought Jorginho played very mm. well uh in this game what an incredible yeah. pass he made to Werner. yeah I would have loved to have seen uh, the whole game but again 1495 Andrew um and Kante I believe I think for the for the the equalizer or one one of Southampton's goals Kante I I I mean, Lampard clearly isn't sure about him. There was rumors that they were going to move N'Golo Kante on. Uh, yeah, it's it's just not right at the moment. There, it's not it's not meshing. But I think it's. I, I feel like this is, you know, the way we're talking about Chelsea right now. Don't you feel like as the season progresses, everything's going to even take, itself out? Well, not maybe it could go that way, or we if it continues like this and again when keppa is moved out permanently because mendy was hurt so that's why he wasn't playing in this uh, in this game um but like if we could take segments that we did last year on arsenal and we could just like edit out where we say arsenal names and insert chelsea names and i feel like we could just lift those segments into these chelsea ones it feels like it's going to be a lot of the same conversation but, you know arsenal with Aubameyang, lacazette Ceballos, lethal potentially lethal in attack mm. 
And Chelsea have that, or probably even maybe even better, uh, because I feel like they have more depth in their attacking power than what Arsenal had. But this defense, if these guys can't stop making these kinds of critical errors, it will sink them. Mm. Yeah, I'm not sure about that. Um, we're go- we're going to have more Frank talk later in a segment. Uh, I in oh. a segment I'd like to call Frankly Speaking, but it. <laughs> But it's actually red card and man of the match. We'll we'll talk about that later. So we we I give you permission to move on to a new segment, Andrew. Just a couple other results worth mentioning uh, from over the weekend. Um, Manchester City defeating Arsenal one nil. Raheem Sterling getting the goal. Honestly, um, I don't know. I thought this was actually kind of dull. Uh, the talking point for, that for whatever I was hoping. Yeah, the the talk. I, I thought Arsenal were were okay um, for for a period in the game, and then kind of City. City got their goal and and yeah, it wasn't a very exciting game. The talking point that came out of this one, certainly in in on English football Twitter, was Sergio Aguero putting his arm around um the lineswoman Shan Massey in a kind of a creepy, almost patronizing way, and people were arguing, debating if this was a male lines person that this wouldn't happen, that it was kind of inappropriate. That was the main talking point, actually, that, that came out of it. Yeah. It, it didn't, so I, I didn't like it. I saw it in, re- I saw it in real time. Mm. It definitely registered with yeah. me that that is, it, I don't know, it, something about it felt l- like crossing a line or just a little bit inappropriate yeah. to me. I'm not saying that it's, you know, that, that it like needs to be reviewed and he should miss matches over it, but something about it just didn't, didn't feel no, right. It, it looked off, and it was, it it wasn't good. I, I I personally don't put your hands on the officials, male, female, yeah. whatever. Don't do it. Um, yeah, not not good. Not a good look. Yeah, uh, I would agree with that. Uh, also, JJ Aston Villa beat Leicester, um, thus continuing their quest to be the next Leicester. Oh, interesting. Villa fans across the across the world are raging. We have a European Cup, but uh, come on, let don't do that. I'm talking. This team just came back in the last two years from from the championship. Big, all right, yeah, but these, these no one's saying they're not a big club. Stop these, putting words in my mouth Midland, that I'm not using. Midland, they're a relegation candidate, and they're trying to win Andrew, a league. That's less. Andrew, these Midlands clubs hate each other. Okay, they hate each other, and so you comparing one to the other, even if it is quite an apt comparison, is not acceptable. For shame. For shame. I'm trying to heap praise on them. I'm trying to say that you might be title contenders, you animals. <laughs> Reacting to uh, criticism that has yet to be given is, is one of your strong suits. But you're right. They're they're in good shape. Um, again, another game I, I, I didn't get to see. Uh, but from, from the match reports, this is... Remember our biggest fear about Villa was the, the spending ways of Villa, where they spent a lot last season and did not look very good. And... We kind of we we wondered what they would be, and we wondered about Dean Smith's job even at the club. But they are they are making the most of holding on to to a key player like uh, like Jack Grealish. They're making the most of of I guess that 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 season back last season was finding their feet, and they're making most of the chaos right now. Villa are by the way, Villa fans will see this as back where we belong. By the way, that's fair for them to feel that way. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I mean, they've certainly, you know, they've hit upon hard times, but, you know, Villa are one of, you know, they're one of those clubs. They're like one of those iconic 
clubs that you kind of certain to feel feel a certain and way. If about. I'm Ross Barkley, I'm definitely, definitely trying to make sure that this is my permanent home now and I'm getting out of Chelsea. What a move. Yeah. Now, that felt like a, a, I don't know, I really liked that move. Well, so far, it's worked out really well. But sometimes a player just fits that level of a club. You know, it's just the right size for him. It's a chance to play it regularly and be yeah. and be a key guy. And also play in a system that probably suits him better. Yeah. Uh, and then, JJ, we got to mention too, Manchester United, an important three points over Newcastle. They saved mm. it. They saved it for the 86th minute I, on, and then they they piled in the goal. This was on Premier League Sports 1, so I got to see this one. Andrew, they only ran away with it towards the end of the game. Um, the Bruno Fernandes goal. Again, again, interestingly, in transition, um, good, really, really lovely goal and a really good finish. They also looked, shockingly, much better passing and finding gaps when Donny van der Beek was brought onto the field. Hmm. Now, perfect opposition. Absolutely perfect opposition. If you need a pick-me-up, call on Newcastle. Those are the guys that are going to give you that pick-me-up. And again, I go back to management. I go back to coaching. I go back to everything. Andrew, Steve Bruce is not getting the best out of this team. There is much more that they could be doing with the players they have. Almiron, Fraser, you know, Anna, San Maxime. How, like, how vulnerable were United going into this game? And I get it. Newcastle did take the lead. But how vulnerable is that back for? How vulnerable coming off the week he's had? Harry Maguire with a horror show being sent off inside half an hour against Denmark. There was even talk, should Ole Gunnar Solskjaer drop him, rest him? Send him on a vacation. Well, don't send him on a vacation. Obviously, don't do that. That doesn't work out. But, you know, wow. Give him a rest. I know, seriously, like. And no, Solskjaer read it correctly. And I want to talk about, not schadenfreude, but I want to talk about joy, Andrew. I was genuinely, and look, I love most misfortunes that befall Manchester United, most footballing misfortunes. It's funny to me. But to see Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's relief the way he congratulated every single player he could possibly get his arms around for a longing embrace after that game shows the pressure United were under going into that game. It was incredible. I've never seen him happier. He was like this little cherub running around. And um, the fixtures fell so kindly, so kindly. Newcastle after an international break, easy. Yeah, it didn't start easy. The, the third minute own goal. Yeah. I almost wonder if that's like the worst thing that could have happened for Newcastle. Oh, definitely. It's like, oh, here we've got this lead to protect for the next 87 minutes. You know, like, I don't know if that's, you know, they, they're always going to try to be defensive minded. And, and, but I don't know. At, at some point, you felt like that would but break. But they never, they never uh, carried a threat really after that. Not, not, not in the way they should have. You're 1 0 up against a team that has zero confidence. Get after them. It's not in Bruce's makeup and it's not going to get better. He's got, he's accrued a nice collection of attacking players. Pointless. Pointless having him managing them. Uh, I'll tell you what, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we've got a little bit of MLS to talk about, a little bit of UEFA Champions League to talk about, mailbag, red cards, man of the match. There's, there's a lot to do still. Don't go anywhere. Oh, back now. Caught offside. JJ, we've got a few, um, a couple MLS things I wanted to mention here. However, so the first one I want to talk to you about, I don't even know if you've seen this because you were in Ireland. I, I imagine this didn't make huge news in Ireland. <laughs> I know what you're going uh, to, I know what you're going to say, and I need you things, to explain this yeah. nonsense to me. So, okay. Things have happened with the supporters shield. Now, 
here's what I'm going to do. Uh, I'd like to table this because later on in the program, backed by popular demand, are our red cards and man. So we're not going to talk about it right now. Um, well, unless you want me to move my red card to this moment. No, we'll wait. Okay. I have, I have some things to say as well. Okay. So there is your tease, everyone, for my red card. Uh, a couple other quick MLS notes. Big win for Toronto FC. Pablo Piatti scoring late for them to grab all three points. You know, we talked with Jeff Carlisle last week, um, and, you know, and he talks about how like this new reinvention of what Toronto are in that, you know, before it was Javinko and Vasquez, and then they've moved on. And now like Pozuelo and Piatti have just come in and replaced right. those two guys. And there's been like no drop. It's great recruitment. So, it's just amazing. Like you see stuff like that happening to Toronto now. And then you try to think back to the way that, that they were perceived as a club, like, five years ago, six years ago, when they were just this disaster. And now it's like, they're like a gold standard of, of, you know, producing talent. And I don't, good for them because right now they are um, in the driver's seat for the supporters shield. Mm -hmm. Um, Oh, oh oh. dear. Uh, Let's see. Um, Brendan Aronson, he, uh, as we had been expecting, he will be moving on to Salzburg and we'll, now move under the tutelage of Jesse Marsh. I think this is, I mean, look, I'm a, I'm a supporter of the Philadelphia union. Um, I would like for Brendan Aronson to stay with them forever, but that's obviously unrealistic. And this is probably in the best interest of everyone. Um, you know, the union will get to keep him for the remainder of the season. So whatever title hopes they have, they can remain intact. He's a huge part of what yes. they do. They also have, you know, players in the pipeline right now. Anthony Fontana can't stop scoring goals, scored a beautiful chip last night to help give the union a two, one win over new England. Um, and this is great for Aronson, you know, to, I, I think this is the right kind of club for him to go to. I feel like, you know, obviously him playing under Jesse Marsh, that aside, which I think is, is brilliant for his personal development to have Marsh as his coach. But even aside from that, I feel like, you know, he's a, he's a slender figure. He's a, he seems like a fairly small guy. slender. And I feel like, I feel like him, you know, this is like an appropriate move to kind of transition into the leveling up of physicality moving into Europe. And so I think that this is this is this is just feels right. And looking at the terms of the contract, the union and MLS are going to do well out of it because he's basically going to a staging post for the big sides in European football to have a look at him and come in and swoop and buy him if he develops properly. So you can you can the the protracted uh maybe protracted is not the right word, but the the in-depth Contract negotiations that went on are definitely designed, as you said, to make sure everybody is a winner out of this move. But it's good that Philadelphia will have him for for a championship tilt. That's important. That would have yeah. been very disappointing and, if he had been taken away from them. Yeah. And, and you know, we're talking about Toronto and the, and the pipeline that they seem to be creating, uh, which really comes more through transfers into their, their club, whereas the union have this homegrown thing down pat. Yeah. Uh, and it just seems like there's always a next guy who's ready to step in. Uh, all eyes now shift to Mark McKenzie, as there's been a lot of talk about, you know, will he be going to the Scottish Premier League? You know, he, he there are clearly European eyes upon him. Uh, so we'll see um, where he goes next. JJ, I wanted to mention something about Portland because this has the makings of a potentially frustrating end to a really good season. So, like, they won the MLS's back tournament which kind of proved everyone, okay, this is this squad is legit. Then they came out and they've looked really good in MLS so far this season. And then injuries 
Injuries, awful injuries. Sebastian Blanco, torn ACL, which is devastating for them. We know how great he is. Um, but then, okay, Jeremy, uh, Jeremy Ababisi, his emergence, he's been great. Yeah. And he's still not and he's still not the finished product. But then you see over the weekend against LAFC, he limps off and has to leave. And we don't quite know. I, I haven't checked this morning, but we don't quite yet know the extent of that. Um, you know, losing these two guys in quick quick succession at this part of, of the season, I feel bad for them because I really think this is a good team. One of the best teams in the league that could contend uh, for a title. And what a thing that would be for them to get the MLS's back trophy and an MLS cup within the same season in, in like this crazy season with no fans and turmoil and all that. Uh, so this, I feel sorry for the situation that they're in. And obviously I feel sorry for those two players in particular. And this is, this is going to test Giovanni Savarese. Now uh, it's going to test their depth. You know, players like Diego Valeri, who we kind of thought were like transitioning out of his prime. Uh-uh. Get back into your prime, young fella, because they need to. <laughs> wow. Oh, well, I'll tell you, listen, if they li- if if they hear that podcast, if Merritt Paulson hears this podcast and heard the way you, those inspiring words from you, hey, yeah. get back into your prime, young fella. Oh, Andrew, You're have you done anywhere. motivational speaking at all? That was uplifting. I've learned from Tony. I, I have many Tony Robbins tapes that I listen to uh, each night. Yeah. By the way, I should, qu- I should clarify, um, the Liverpool Echo is reporting that Allison is back in in light training so he may be back oh. quite soon you're you were right and I was wrong mm. hmm. love those words uh let's see I, I had something down here uh JJ about LA Galaxy they did not start Chicharito um he has just you know I know you've had thoughts on him ever since the season began that you were just always worried about work. the fit and and so far, you have been proven to be 100% correct. For whatever reason, he is not meshing uh, with either the way they want to play or you know, him and Pavone on the field at the same time seems like it's minimalized P- Pavone's impact. But when Chicharito's off, Pavone looks like the superstar that we thought he would be. So I don't know. I don't know how this gets fixed, if it ever gets fixed. Well, um, it's that, it's a shame for them. Though. Well, the manager, Ashlato, is under serious pressure. And he was asked about... Um, this is interesting. I, I thought this was a telling comment. I don't know what you, you want to say about it, but but just quickly, this this was about dropping Chicharito. The decisions one makes are always about more than what's happening inside or outside the locker room. They have to do with what, doing the best for the team. And I thought it was best for the team that Gonzalez plays and not Javier. That's almost admitting like there's an off-the-field issue there. Like it's, he, he's, he's almost saying, well, it's not just what's going on off the field. He's also not perform or, it, you know, it's not working out on the field or that's the way I read it. Anyway, there's also the swirling rumors about Robbie Keane coming in to take over. Um, now, whether that win over Vancouver at the weekend quells that a little bit, um, I don't know. It's certainly not helpful if you're a manager having to answer questions about rumors um, in the press conference, but, but going back to Chicharito, let alone those rumors being focused on a club legend. Right, and also a guy who knows how to put the ball in the back of the net and straight away people will talk about maybe this is the guy who can fix that attack. Uh, it's a bit it's a bit of a mess there. And just going back to what I said about Chicharito, you know, a player of his age, I mean, the stats, his stats weren't good going into playing for LA Galaxy. And there's a misconception about the league that is still held by people who are not, who don't watch it a lot, is that, you know, well, Chicharito's going to go in and he's just going to take all these chances and score all these chances. He missed a sitter at the weekend against Vancouver um, when he came on. But 
but it's more than that. You you have to have a little bit more to your game in MLS as as Latam was. I, I know he's an exemplar, but you know Chicharito was replacing him. You have the all action man to the guy who does one thing good, and if it's not happening, it looks very bad. By the way, we're kind of seeing now that the idea of Chicharito replacing Zlatan is almost an unfair one because Zlatan has now gone back to Serie A and has looked great yeah. for AC Milan, scored the, scored the winner over the weekend. Um, but it's the, ra- so, it's the range like, of things that Zlatan can do. You know, I remember that. I can't remember which, which uh, El Trafico it was last season, but the ball's pinged into him and he just instantly controls it slides it out to Pavon, turns, get it, gets into the box himself and scores. Like he's at the A, the B and the C part of that goal. And that's not Chicharito. Yeah. Uh, let's see. JJ, I was going to bring up something about Real Madrid and Barcelona, but let's include them now uh, in the bigger conversation that we had talked about. And that is the return of the UEFA Champions League. That's right, my friend. It is back today. It's probably already returned for many of you listening to this podcast right now. Um, I put down here things that you're looking forward to before we even get to those sorts of things specifically. Um, let's talk about a little bit Real Madrid, Barcelona, and kind of the, the the typical giants of this competition. We enter this right now, and I would say that this is probably about as unclear of a feeling as I've had in recent years going into a Champions League as to who I think should be considered the odds-on favorite. I want to say it's still Bayern Munich. Um, I know they had a a couple minor hiccups at the start of the Bundesliga season, but overall, I still think so highly of them uh, and this team. But, you know, asking them to win the Champions League back-to-back seasons is not going to be an easy thing to do. Uh, and then look at Real Madrid and Barcelona over the weekend. You know, the other clubs that we typically put right there in terms of the favorites to win this. Both losing, both losing to opponents that you just don't expect to see them losing to. This is not Atletico Madrid, uh, Sevilla, clubs like that. Uh, and then Ronald Koeman opening up even more on Messi. We always wondered about this relationship and how it would go. And Koeman said this about Messi. He said, I don't have any complaints or doubts about his effort. Um, right now his performances could be better on a day-to-day basis. He's happy and wants to play and be the team's captain, which is just like, he's just saying words there. But that part about saying that Messi could be better. Um, that's interesting for, uh, Kuman to come out it, with. It is interesting, but you know, here's more of the quotes. He said, it's still 11 against 11. You need good organization in a team. You need to approach the individual qualities of the players. I see from the beginning the big qualities Messi has as a player, also his commitment to the team and trying to do good pressing up front. He's the best because he is so easy on the pitch, but he's very intelligent. He sees the best solutions in the game really fast. Um, His commitment to the team and trying to do good pressing up front. I mean, this is... I mean, has he watched him in the last how many years? He hasn't been a good presser in a while. Um... Like, what more does he really want? He he knows the role this player occupies in Barcelona. Like, what, I'm not sure exactly what he's expecting. Do you have a uh, a feel right now as to who the favorites are in this? I mean, I, we could look at what Vegas has, but I'm just wondering. I, I look at it and I, I, I think, uh, I think of, I, I'm with you on Bayern Munich, to be perfectly honest with you. um, I know, like, it's not been a perfect start by them either. They had that, that that turnaround against uh, away to Hoffenheim, 
But but I feel if you look at the problems of, say, Liverpool right now, if you look at some of the issues of last year's finalist PSG, who haven't started the French League without some problems and question marks over Thomas Tuchel, why not Bayern? Why aren't Bayern the favourites? Look at Real Madrid and Barcelona. They... Maybe, maybe this is the year that Manchester City finally do it. But I mean, it's been that was I was about to bring that imp- up. They are. It's been imperfect from them are, too. They're the most interesting team to me in this because don't you get this feel that we're kind of we're at like the be, maybe the beginning of the end of the Pep window. Yes, and like this could be uh, this could be one of the last great chances that. Pep City has, uh, and I'm just I'm. So far, they have not looked amazing in the start of the Premier League. Uh, Kevin De Bruyne is out, uh, so you know it's hard to say Aguero's just coming back into the side. But they are not perfect, which we saw last season, and there's not a ton different about them this season. So I just, I just, I'm so curious if this will if they'll kick on and make one like great effort to win this tournament or if maybe we've maybe we've seen the best of what they can of the challenge that they can put up i'm curious about the that bookie more than the anyone. bookies have Bayern munich juventus paris saint germain real madrid all favored heavily to be crowned okay. champions of europe i'm yeah I'm not, i want to throw one dark horse in, okay as much as this club can be a dark horse I'll, i'm just gonna throw inter milan in there as kind of my uh if i had to pick like one of the sides that are probably i don't know where they fall on that on the list there of favorites, but um, they would be my my dark horse. To right, watch. and anything you've seen last season concern you? I mean, they're not one of the favorites for a reason, right? Right, <laughs> like, but, but I they feel are a like there darkness is, for you. <laughs> yes, uh, Lukaku has already been. He's off to a great start this season. I think he has four goals already. Um, I don't know. I just uh, I think there's enough talent there. Uh, and guys who kind of went there, you know, for this maybe for this competition, maybe above all others. That I don't know. I'm just I'm just curious about. Yeah. That. Well, they start tomorrow at 3 p.m. against uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach, aka a German team, and they're in a group with Real Madrid and Shakhtar Donetsk, which is yeah. a pretty tricky group. Very interesting. Yeah. In terms of what I'm looking forward to, so I want to read you something here, JJ, from uh, Joshua Robinson wrote this in the Wall Street Journal. He says, for the first time in its history, European soccer's most prestigious tournament will involve 10 young Americans. They play for teams such as Barcelona, Juventus, and Chelsea, and they're all under the age of 26. Uh, 10 Americans in the Champions League is still far from critical mass. It's roughly on par with the number of players in the Champions League this year from Serbia, a country with uh, just 2% of the U.S. population. And not all of them are ready to feature right away. Conrad De La Fuente at Barcelona only recently started practicing with the first team. Zach Steffen, of course, at Man City is the club's second or third choice. But for the uh, but for the top of the young American class led by Christian Pulisic, this season is much more serious business than your average junior year abroad. It's the product of more players following his lead by committing earlier to a European soccer education. This could be fun, JJ. Pulisic at Chelsea, Dest at Barcelona, McKenney at Juve, Tyler Adams at Leipzig. Um, and then the one that might be most interesting of them all, Gio Reyna at Borussia Dortmund. Like these are these guys are not bit parts going to some of these huge clubs. These are players that are viewed as difference makers going to clubs that all believe they can win this competition. Uh, this is this is new territory 
uh, for there to be this many Americans featuring in that kind of way on teams of that caliber. So that that will be if you don't have a dog in the hunt, if you don't have a team that's in the Champions League, root for that, man. Seek out where these guys when these guys are going to be on and watch that because that will be a lot of fun to see how they hold up against some of the biggest clubs in Europe. Yeah, you're stepping on my toes a little bit. You know, obviously form and selection policies and some some of these these guys are so young that you can't expect um you know certainly conrad de la fuente do you expect him to be starting in the champions league straight away no but like look at Gio reyna this is going to be we've already seen him do things in the champions league and now we're going to see it again on a on an even more consistent basis it's it's hugely exciting it really is exciting um and by the way, I even saw that, uh, and this is obviously not good. I don't mean to even present it that way, but I think I saw that Simone Mignolet tested positive for the coronavirus. So I hope he's okay. But in his place, it, uh, my assumption is that Ethan Horvath will then start uh, in their next match with Mignolet out in the Champions League. So um, that's another American that will not get a probably not get a permanent chance when Mignolet returns, but. Uh, Horvath, someone else to watch. Yeah, and at here. 25 years of age with a goalkeeper who is the incumbent, the number one keeper, Zach Steffen, who is not getting regular games at Manchester City, or we don't expect that to happen, that is a real opportunity for him to 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 put himself front and center to be number one for the national team. Yeah. Uh, I'll tell you what, let's take one more break here, and then we'll come back with the, the super happy fun time, mailbag, red cards, man of the match, you don't want to miss it. I saw Ted Lasso's name appears in in a way that I love um, because someone else opened up their heart and let Lasso in, JJ. I know you refuse. You have a heart of darkness. No, they, they kind uh, of did. They, kind they did exactly what I did. They did exactly what I did. We'll talk about that next. Don't go anywhere. Mail busy, Andrew, on the podcast. Caughtoffsidepod at gmail.com. Caughtoffside ESPN on Instagram. And at CO Soccer Bot on Twitter. Follow us there. Contact us there. Interact with us there. Um, Seth is our breaking news specialist. He, he, he gave us this uh, right before we were about to record. He tweeted us this breaking news from Sky Sports. Liverpool and Manchester United are among the top clubs in talk over bombshell plot to join new FIFA-backed European League. Um, so this is what Sky Sports are saying. A $6 billion dollar financing package is being drawn up to back the launch of a new European Premier League, Sky News reveals. Uh, Liverpool and Manchester United are in talks about a bombshell plot involving Europe's biggest football clubs to join a FIFA-backed tournament that would reshape the sports global landscape. Sky News has learned that financiers are assembling a $6 billion funding package to assist the creation of what would become known as the European Premier League. More than a dozen teams from England, France, Germany, Italy, and Spain are in negotiations about becoming founder members of the competition. As many as five English clubs could sign up to join it with a provisional start date said to, be, have, discuss, to, said to have been discussed as early as 2022. Sources said that FIFA, football's world governing body, has been, had been involved in developing the new format, which is expected to comprise up to 18 teams and involve fixtures played during the regular European season. The top place teams in the league would then play in a knockout format to conclude the tournament with prize money for the winners expected to be worth hundreds of millions of pounds a year. That is a lot of money. Yes. Now, here's what I need to know about it. Is this, So this will eventually, the, the plan is for this to, to usurp the Champions League. And the Champions League, as we know, it would go away 
And then this would become the new standard of European competition. Right. They added that the European Premier League was likely to feature either 16 or 18 teams, meaning a likely minimum of 30 matches for each club based on a format of round-robin home-and-away fixtures, although that is amongst details to be finalized. If the discussions are successfully concluded, the European Premier League would effectively usurp UEFA's Champions League competition, which has been a mainstay of the continent's football calendar for 30 decades. It was unclear whether the new tournament had the backing of UEFA, the European governing body, although some insiders claimed that it did not. I would imagine that it does not. Here's what I need to know. And we should say to people that this is Project Big Picture that we talked about last week. That is gone. Project Big Picture uh, was canned. And then the Premier League came back with its own funding proposals, which were rejected by the AFL as not being enough. So that's closed. So yeah. So with regards to this now, this next venture of Liverpool and Manchester United. Um, so here's what I would say. I am not somebody who will ever be averse to new ideas. Uh, so like, I just need to know more about this in the sense of like, if, if this is a reimagining of the Champions League into a new format, I'll listen. Um, you know, because Champions League play, it's, it's a, a tournament or a competition where your entry is earned. Um, however, if this is not that, if this if there's not earned entry here, if this is just a hand-picked league with hand-picked participants, then no, I will not be in favor of it. Now, so I need to hear more about how you get into this. And then like, so this is supposed to be some kind of league. Is there relegation where a couple teams will drop out? How will they determine who goes into it? Uh, so I need to know if this is just the same teams every year that that have been determined to be the money makers of, of world football. Then I'm oh, out. Then I'm not well, in on it. There has to be some sort of way to, to play yourself in or out of this team, competition. That, Otherwise, it's worthless. I, I, that, that seems to be the way it's going to go. Um, it will be. I mean, because I'm sure hovering around this will be the Agnellis. We already know the, no, the, 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 this can't the Glazers. Be, they cannot do that. And FSG. So there's no chance that this is going to be the same equitable Champions League that we've European competition that we've had before. There just isn't a chance. Um, well, no, it will certainly be different. But I'm saying, as long as there's some way of being able to earn a place in this competition, then I'm, I'll I'll hear them out. I, but it can't just be a league of these hand. The idea has always been to ring fence the bigger clubs. So I can't imagine how it won't be. Um, I made I raised these concerns last week, but Rory Smith, in responding to this uh, this breaking news has kind of reiterated what I said, uh, obviously more eloquently than I. Um, has anyone done any research into whether people want it? The big clubs and organizations aren't stupid. They'll have worked out that Champions League games are special because they're rare. But are they sure they'll still be special if they're played twice a year? On the other hand, maybe this is a generational thing. I don't know anyone who wants one, but that's just my late 30s bubble. Maybe there's loads of younger fans or more international fans or whatever who actually find the idea of a, of a national league a bit restrictive. That is certainly, when, when we talk to this about fans, it's who, who likes this idea. It's broadly Americans, international fans who think that we should always be playing the top, the Barcelonas against the Bayern Munichs and the Liverpools versus the Real Madrids on as regular a basis as possible. That for me, I'm the same age as Rory, same age as you are. That for me, I hate that idea. I hate it. But these, I hate it this too. is being brought to you from the same people who said we don't want many, too many Leicester cities. So I'm out. 
I, I, I hate that. I just like, I, th- I see this through the, Amer- like you mentioned that Americans are to blame for this. How dare you? But well, I no, see they're the ones like, driving you- these things. Of course they are. I, I see this though through the lens of my American brain, and I think about how, like, okay, in the EPL, there's no, there's no like American style postseason like what MLS has or baseball or whatever. So I always kind of viewed the Champions League as like European soccer's version almost of a postseason. You have to wait, earn your way into a competition where you're joined by the best teams, and then you play out some sort of season. Just like imagine JJ, if American sports adopted this sort of mentality, where like it's October, which means baseball time, the prestige of the World Series, Fall Classic, and then it's like, oh wait a minute, the Yankees won 75 games this year, but they're the Yankees. We we have to have them in. Yankees are in. Put them in anyway. Wait, what's that? The Marlins won 102. Uh, no bad fan base, not a prestigious club. No, they're out. All right, play ball. Let's go world series. Like it, it can't be that way. It cannot be that way. Or I won't take it seriously. And a lot of people won't. No, uh, I certainly won't. And it'll be, be the, again, you know, too much. The idea, you know, it's rare. It's rare and enjoyable because the champions league is rare and enjoyable. You know, we're not served up. We're not served up these amazing matchups all the time. And that's, what's good about them. You give people, you regularize things like this and it becomes not fun and boring. What else you got? Um, okay. Let me see. Oh, uh, Hassan, um, Hassan and, uh, tweets at us another Ted Lasso fan in the guise of Gary Lineker, not in the guise. It's actually Gary Lineker. Um, just finished at Ted Lasso on Apple TV. Thought after a couple of episodes it was going to be a cliched, hackneyed football comedy. And in some ways it was. But I warmed to it. And the characters in it. It was funny. Warm. There's that word again. You're warm. And highly enjoyable if you're looking for something to watch. JJ, that's almost word for word my critique. But of the again, I, I, you know, I come to the fundamental point. Now, I was away in Ireland, so I haven't finished it. But I will. I've committed. I will finish it. Um, what did you watch on the on your six hour plane ride? I'd like to know uh, what was more important that you couldn't do your homework for the show. And I watched it. Guy Ritchie's The Gentleman, um, and I watched The Way Back, which was a genuinely, genuinely warm, challenging, and wonderful film with Sir Ben of Affleck in it, and 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 also that rare thing, a sports film that feels real. It feels like. You know, I could smell that that basketball gym. I, it, it it looked right, and people talked about sports in the right way. That's what I watched. All right, that's what I watched. So anyway, yeah. Like, but um, I saw Ted Lasso got renewed for not just the second season, but a third. I well. know it's it's incredible what uh, what the schmaltz will do for you. Um, also, um, you know the fact the fact he said in some ways it was cliched and hackneyed. Yeah, oh, no, absolutely. God. It is. It All is. Right. No one, like no one, is denying right. that. But like, let me finish it. Uh, See, so you, you, you just approach this with Ted Lasso. Is it Citizen Kane? Then I don't want it. No, it's not. That's not what I said. That's what you expect. No. You've now like you're at that level now where you need everything to be of that. So I said this is entourage. It's just like a silly, ridiculous kind of cliche kind what of. What I show. don't understand. There's a place. What for I it. don't understand is like I'm allowing everybody to enjoy it. And yet I no. I am compelled by everyone to oh just embrace it. Just enjoy it. Open your heart. No. Let Lasso in. Let, no. If I if I can't enjoy it, like, do people want me to be fake on this podcast and come on and tell them about things I don't like? I I don't get it. Uh Steve. So how many wait, how many episodes I, are I'm you? still stuck on on I should be on my fourth soon. So I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna finish it this week. 
Um, I may even go on Instagram and, and talk about it with people once I'm finished. Uh, that's caught offside ESPN if you want to have a lasso chat. Stephen Bradikin, I guess Sally Field was wrong. When is Frank not the guy to lead Chelsea? And he links us to a piece by your favorite um, your favorite uh, uh, Twitter handle, um, US Men's National Team Only. Um, Jesse Marsh says that he had a discussion with Frank Lampard last season that left him with the impression that the Chelsea boss didn't rate Christian Pulisic because he was American. Um, oh, my God. Here's the quotes. You can, really? you can find them on ESPN FC. Even Frank Lampard, when I spoke to him in preseason a year ago, I was talking to him about having Christian Pulisic, and he was kind of like, yeah, he's got a lot to learn, so we'll see how he does. I said to him, listen, he was at Dortmund, and they had a high level of tactical thinking of playing, and he was very successful. He was considered one of the best players in Germany, and that's in a group of players with Timo Werner, Kai Havertz, Joshua Kimmich, these kinds of players. He was in a group with those players, and it's just not because he was talented. It was because he understood tactics and understood how to fit in the game, and he was developing a real astute way of how to play. I could see right away that Frank Lampard's idea of Christian Pulisic was shaped a lot by the fact he was American, Mm. And not that his football education came a lot from what happened in Germany. Since then, I think Lampard has learned that Pulisic is a lot better than he gave him credit for. Now, well, I'll say this. It, it jives with the way we felt like Pulisic was treated in his first you know, two months or so at the club. Um, yeah, but, uh, you know, this is Jesse March basically saying, and I'm not, I'm not saying he might be right, but it's him kind of extrapolating from what, from what Lampard said. Lampard never said at one point, that it's because he was American. This is Jesse Marsh coming to that conclusion, right? And I mean, say that is true. That is a bizarre way to act because Pulisic is indeed American. He was born here. But his football education was not in the USL or in MLS or anything else. He was at Jurgen Klopp's Borussia Dortmund. He was in the youth ranks at that time in, a, in, a, in one of the best-run clubs for youth players in European football. So his nationality is nothing to do with it. And if that is the case, that is staggering. Now it is. And, they, and I do believe that there are people who think that. Of course way. there is. Um, and I believe that those people will get left behind. I mean, like we talked last year about Barcelona um, and their, the, the comments that were made there about Alfonso Davies. Oh, but he's Canadian. And then you know, look what Davies was doing for Bayern Munich. Um, so like there are that mentality still exists, but like I think we're in that moment now where the Pulisic, Reynas, McKinney's, these guys, like that's why there's kind of a spotlight on them because they're sort of carrying the mantle for how American players might be viewed going yeah, forward. I I just think it's important that Jesse Marsh in his conversation and you know, he doesn't quote Lampard saying well, he's not getting in my team because he's American or I've got a question mark because he's American. This is a feeling Jesse Marsh got. So I, I would be staggered if any person would, would, would come to that conclusion. And judges on the color of your, of your passport, where your passport's from. Weird. Okay, we're moving on. Oh, uh, Robert wants to know if Gerard Watch will get a mention on the back of the Old Firm Derby. And that Ooh. will come in what is next. In mere moments, in mere moments, because now we do. Are we? Is this you saying it's red card man of the match? That's absolutely what I'm telling you. Oh, all right. Well, let's do it. Red card, JJ. I'm going to go first here uh, because I did tease this earlier, Um, and uh, I want to talk about this because I I don't know how many people value the supporter shield, but I think 
uh, there was a decision that was made by this committee that runs the Supporter Shield uh, to not award it this season. And I find that decision utterly mind-boggling. Now, here's the statement that was made. Um, after much, it's worth noting again. This is not MLS's decision. There's a separate committee that that awards the supporter shield, um, and uh, they have like an alliance basically with. They're MLS, called the Independent it, Supporters Council. Yeah, uh, they they released a statement saying, after much consideration and discussion, the Supporter Shield Foundation has decided to forego awarding the supporter shield for the 2020 season. This is not an easy decision to make, with the inability for supporters to be in attendance and fill their stadiums with passion. However, we feel as though the current climate goes against the spirit of the shield. The Supporter Shield Foundation stands with our players and our supporters in knowing that this year has been one of many challenges, and we commend the support and effort given to making the best of the 2020 season as it has been. As, as it has been. Um, so they have now decided to speak on behalf of supporters everywhere and have taken it upon themselves to make this decision. JJ, remember how I felt when, uh, what was it, that the French committee of journalists decided that we're just not going to do a Ballon d'Or this That's season? Right. And I was like, uh, Why? Someone can someone actually give me a real reason as to why? That's how I feel. I'm getting deja vu with the feeling of this not being awarded the season. Why? We're playing the season. There's going to be a best team at the end of the season. And I understand. So I, I can only assume that their reason for this uh, is because in some respect, they don't feel like the season was being played on, on a level playing field, I guess. Like the Colorado Rapids are almost undoubtedly going to play fewer games this season okay. than other clubs because of the number of games they missed. So maybe there was some inner confusion as to how do we award this thing? Do we do total? Do we give it to the team with total points? Do we go on a points per game basis? And I'm here to tell you, who cares? Make a decision and award the supporter shield to the team that you feel has earned it. To not award it is the wrong answer. Okay, these teams have gone through the most challenging season that this league has probably ever had. No fans. Will there be games? Will there not be? Constant coronavirus tests. Playing in an MLS's back tournament before the season. If anything, whoever wins. The, the, at the end of this, whoever comes out on top in what would have been the supporter shield, they've earned it more than anybody I can think of in Listen. the past. And for this group to take this cowardly way out because they couldn't make some kind of decision on how to award it is wrong. And Greg Vanny of Toronto FC, who I mentioned earlier, is in the driver's seat right now. He was furious about it. And, and he has every right to be because his players have put it all out there for him, as have many other clubs that are battling for this thing. But you know, this Toronto side, if they get it at the end, they deserve it. And it's wrong. And I hope MLS does something to either try to reconvince this group to change their mind about it or come forward with their own award that maybe re will replace it. There needs to be some way to mark the achievement of whoever does it this season. And this is wrong hey, for this award to disappear. Listen, this Andrew, it's a tradition in MLS to see a paunchy middle-aged guy barely fitting into the, his club's team jersey lifting that trophy. I want to see it. It better happen. It just better happen. All right. I want to see the fatso lift the trophy. Okay. <laughs> it does. And by the way, if they're if they're not sure how to award it, just like be understanding of the fact that people, sports fans in general, have come to terms with the fact that this year is different. And sports fans are accepting of like different routes being right. taken to get to these sorts of things. We're okay with it. If it's if you decide it should be points per game rather than total points, we're fine with that. Uh, like this is this is the wrong by, answer. By, the only wrong. By the way, answer. um, so the a statement regarding the 2020 supporter shield was issued by the Independent Supporters Council, and they said the decision not to award the shield in this strange and unprecedented season was made by the board of the directors of the Supporter Shield Foundation. The foundation is independent of the Independent Supporters Council. Oh my! Oh god. my god! Oh, vey with this. This is like ridiculous. This reminds me. Of, have you seen the life of Brian? 
No. <laughs> Monty Python's The Life of Brian. I know. Right. It, but so I they have it. They have a group called the People's uh, the People's Front of Judea, and then and then there's another group called the uh, the Judean People's Front. You know, like they're the same. <laughs> what? Right. I never knew there was this levels of bur- bureaucracy amongst. I mean, who are these people deciding all I this? No, I don't know. It's crazy. I, I saw this at the Burgundy Wave, the Colorado Rapids blog. They said uh, they wrote after all the blowback because there was a lot of it, specifically from Greg Vanny. The foundation further clarified their decision, saying, "Quote: It has become unclear whether every t- every team will play the same number of games in the 2020 season, or if the league will move to a points per game model for seeding." Uh, They also said that the, quote, extremely unbalanced scheduling of this season leaves too many questions regarding who the true winner will be. Cowardly way out. Cowardly way out. Make a decision and award it and go with that. It feels like the only people who feel that this shouldn't be awarded were the people in this room. I haven't talked to anybody who thinks that this is the right way to go about it. Who Who are these faceless, nameless bureaucrats? I don't know. Identify yourselves immediately. Um, my red card is is um, it's well, it's it's to two entities. Uh, one of them, a person, uh, Andrew Samuel Eto, is upset. Uh, the iconic striker says that he felt disrespected by France football's decision to classify him as a right winger as part of its Ballon d'Or Dream Team countdown. So he tweeted this out uh, in French. I'm going to translate it. Merci, thank you. Um, I have played one or two seasons. Sur le droit. Um, before I was 25. Uh, so, so he's basically saying I played one or two seasons on the right hand side in a 25 year career playing in the center. The lack of respect, whatever. <laughs> so he's freaking out because like, look at some of the names he's mentioned amongst. I'm sure it's really hard to do a dream team countdown and have nominees that you know you're trying to to jam guys in you know the way when we do our 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 special 11s like our combined liverpool 11 and we're trying to get suarez or someone else in somewhere because there's just so much talent well like kevin keegan played a lot of his career at center forward he's list, he's listed as a right winger um lionel lionel right. messi for, for tottenham I, I still have bale as a left <laughs> lionel messi is listed on this as a right winger you know oh my yeah and and like Listen, listen to the nominees for right winger. Beckham, George Best, Luis Figo, Garinka, Jarzinho, Kevin Keegan, Stanley Matthews, Lionel Messi, and Aaron Robin. And Samuel Eto'o is all bent out of shape because he's been listed there, even though he played most of his career in the center. Who cares, dude? Someone has mentioned you in the same breath as these amazing players, and you were a damn fine player and had a great career. Get over yourself. It's a made-up That's team. Good. You don't have yeah. to play for them. Some of these guys are you certainly don't need to get. You certainly don't need to get bent out of shape. Ugh, whatever. Yeah. Le, Le Manque du respect. Ugh. He's he's insisting upon himself. He is, he's JJ. quite insisting. Uh, let's see. My man of the match here, JJ. Props to Major League Soccer. Uh, of course, social justice, racial equality, they've been some of the defining themes of this year. And the league is coming out and saying, uh, talk only does so much. What we need is action. So they have come forward with this. Uh, Major League Soccer unveiled a series of initiatives on Monday aimed at combating racism, advocating for social justice, and increasing black representation in the sport. As part of the proposals, MLS owners have also contributed a million dollars to black players for change to help grow the organization in the coming years. 
Um, here are some of the initiatives that were uh, that they're going to be undertaking: an MLS diversity committee, a civic engagement committee, the Soccered Upward Mobility Initiative, youth and grassroots community initiative, supplier diversity program, and partnerships with the National Coalition of 100 Black Women and 100 Black Men of America. This is a great first step, JJ. Uh, the important step comes next in how they'll implement all these new committees and initiatives, but this is important. I, I like, uh, in particular, the Upwards Mobility Initiative, developing pathways for minorities into executive positions within the league or within you know, within certain clubs. Uh, I think that's huge for, uh, for that to be happening. Also, the Grassroots Initiative of boosting participation of underrepresented uh, groups within the sport is amazing. And the one that's interesting to me, the Supplier Diversity Program. Um, so it, it's basically providing opportunities for minority-owned businesses. Uh, in terms of like vendors that MLS will use. So whether that's like, I don't know if that could mean within stadiums, like, you know, different, you know, one of your food options, rather than throwing like a McDonald's in there, they'll try to find like a small business owned by minority groups uh, to put in there instead. So that that sounded like a really kind of outside the box thinking. Uh, so I, I saw this and I think it's great um, because, you know, there's been a lot of talk, which is certainly an important first step. But now this is this is actionable. This is you know creating committees and and programs to try to get this stuff going in the right direction. So good for MLS taking the well, lead. It's very on. important because one of the things we said was there can't just be talk and gestures. There has to be actual right. qualitative things you can see that are moving towards it. It also it's interesting you mentioned that today. The Athletic has. Um, reviewed FEC data for owners, majority and minority of the 30 current and incoming MLS clubs. The finding, MLS teams may publicly back social causes, but owners' political donations often fight against them. So that's, uh, I I didn't want to stand, tread all over your uh, man of the match there, but, um, you know, this is a a constant battle. Um, And also, I, I think one of the good initiatives that MLS has there is, you know, hiring hiring black people. I think if anything that's come out of this summer is that um, you can empower minorities by hiring them and by having them, you know, uh, respected and, uh, you know, raising up uh, minorities economically. But um, yeah, still, still much work to be done, I would say. Of course. Uh, of course. Uh, my man of the match, Andrew, Stephen Gerrard, he leads Rangers to a 2-0 old firmy, old firmy? Hmm. Old firm derby win at Parkhead. That's back-to-back wins for Gerard at the home of the Celts. That win leaves the SPFL looking like this. The uh, Glasgow Ra- I nearly called them the Rangers. I've been in this country too long. Uh, Glasgow Rangers are top. They have a match more played than Celtic, but they are four points ahead after the first round of games in the SPFL. And for Gerard himself, that's 14 games, 12 wins, 11 clean sheets. This is obviously all competitions. Uh, 37 goals scored. Four goals conceded, Europa League qualification secured, back-to-back wins at Celtic Park. So things are things are happening in Scotland in a in a pivotal year for the old firm as Rangers are desperate to stop Celtic getting the ten in a row, which is just such a huge thing for both clubs. They want to deny them that piece of Scottish football history and of old firm rivalry history. And guess what, Andrew? You can see if Rangers and Steven Gerrard succeed in this on ESPN Plus which is carrying all the SPFL games um, or carrying the SPFL for uh, for Scottish football fans in the United States for the low, low cost of just a price of coffee per month. Well, there you go. Um, good stuff. And, and uh, thinking of that now, it's also a reminder, El Clasico this weekend. Uh, so once you get through all of your Champions League midweek um, 
then you ha- you still have that certainly to look forward to at the weekend. It never stops, my the, friend. It just the never football stops. is overwhelming, Andrew. Yeah. Uh, well, I look forward to you uh, finishing out Lasso. We'll get your thoughts on that next week. I'm assuming um, Champions League thoughts, all that. Champions League, of course, that is returning, uh, like we have said. So this this is fun, man. Ooh, that was a big show. Big show. Good stuff to you, my friend, I say. Check you later, fun boy. Take yeah. care, man. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast.